Welcome to Paper Napkin, a podcast about connection. I'm Kendra Rogers. A month ago, I started having conversations with the most interesting people I know about connection, and I asked them to connect me with their most interesting connections. The response from both my connections and yourselves has been absolutely overwhelming so far. Thank you so much for joining us. I am really excited about this week's guest, Rochelle Denton. Rochelle is a builder, and I didn't just say that because she works at Lego, but she does. She builds content strategies at work, but she also builds up and supports other women. She builds value, builds confidence, has built a beautiful family, and builds connections in all aspects of her life. Rochelle is the definition of a nomad, and I don't just mean because she's lived many places and many interesting lives around the world. I mean, because she doesn't sit still when it comes to her life or her growth. She is fluid and never fixed. Her brain works in magnificent ways. And she is constantly seeking to understand others in a way that I find incredibly inspiring. Rochelle, thank you so much for being here. Hello, thank you for inviting me to be here with you. It is nice to be here. I am really excited for our chat because you are, as far as interesting people go, you are a very interesting person, but you are also, as far as connections go, one of my newest connections, but also perhaps most exciting connections. And I think that's because you do really wonderful things. You think really wonderful thoughts and you are, from what I have seen so far, a very wonderful person. And my first question is a simple one, but also perhaps a hard one. The second part is maybe harder than the first. The first part is what do you do? And the second part is why? Oh, well, can I say thank you for the glowing introduction? That's really kind. It is nice when you meet someone new and they have a glowing appraisal of you. So thank you for that first. What do I do and why? That's the question. I work in content, specifically in strategy. I'm a senior content strategist. I have recently changed roles, so recently that I can't really tell you much about it yet. (laughs) However, I do work for Lego, which is very exciting. Most recently, I have done a lot of work when it comes to digital strategy, content strategy, and wider kind of creative strategy for businesses, focusing largely on entertainment properties like Apple, uh, Penguin Random House, BBC, and a lot of training as well, helping other people learn what it is that I know and how to apply that to their own businesses. Why I do what I do, I assume is the trickier part of the question. (laughs) It's all a big accident. (laughs) (laughs) That isn't entirely true. I believe the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing right now is not just because I'm good at it, but because I enjoy it. And it took me quite a meandering path to find this area that I think brings together some of the things that I deeply connect with. Those things being creativity, the value of community, and ironically in this podcast, of course, the spark of infinite connections. I think bringing those things together in a digital environment has always been very interesting to me. And so I suppose that is why I do what I do for work. I love what you said about the spark of infinite connections. Can you say more about that? Sure. I did some work. Oh, I want to say two or three years ago now when I was kind of finding my way, having a moment, perhaps 
quite poignantly around turning 40 and just reaffirming what I thought I knew about myself, but also what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go, what I wanted to be. Part of that work I did was based around defining my values, the things that I will always return to, to make sure that my compass is pointed in the right direction. And one of those things is around connectivity and what I think of as sparking an infinite connection. At any given point in a day, and I realize in a lockdown day, lives are different, but at any given point in a day, you're given so many opportunities to connect or not with someone. And I deeply believe that every person you come in contact with has the opportunity to create some kind of spark. Now, that can be wholly positive, wholly negative, and everything in between, but it will always give you some kind of lesson, some kind of thought, some kind of experience that helps shape who you are. And that's something that I'm quite obsessed with, I would say, in seeking the value of that, of that experience. Oh, I love that. And kind of what this podcast is about as well. I had to say yes to this podcast. I was like, this is my values in a podcast. (laughs) So how do you connect? What does that look like? I think ideally I like to connect via serendipitous means, I would say. I, I really enjoy the value of an unexpected connection. However, I do seek not only unexpected connections, I seek to connect with people via a medium that a tune makes them most comfortable so I have relationships with people like yourself around the world through through different means and some people I talk to in a video call and some I talk to in a whatsapp message and some we send video messages backward and forwards and I think one of the things that's important to me about a valuable connection is that you respect and honor the way in which people get the most out of having these relationships together My personal ideal is to bump into someone that you didn't mean to bump into when you have enough time to have a discussion with them, hopefully coffee in the sunshine. That would be uh, my ideal day if I did that all day. (laughs) But there is so many ways in which we can connect that are afforded to us now that I really value the opportunity that we have to do things in different ways now. And when you bump into that person in the sunshine serendipitously, what are the actions you take? What is the approach that you take to building connection? That's a really good question. I think intrinsically, I am an extrovert and I am curious. So these two things I have to curtail somewhat because I can be very enthusiastic (laughs) so reading the temperature of the person is important in a moment of serendipity you don't want to roll in with all your enthusiasm into their terrible day in which they do not want interaction obviously so if this person is open (laughs) then to me it's really about a series of prompts Uh, connection is as much about listening as it is about talking and the older I get, the more I realize that people aren't always seeking connection for me to come through and resolve their issues or give them solutions or advice. Sometimes what people need to do is listen to themselves talk out loud as well. And sometimes it's just two people talking absolute nonsense that helps hit a reset my infinite connection thing doesn't have to be highbrow in any shape or form for it to be valuable really valuable I think 
I love the idea that there doesn't need to be a structure around it. There just needs to be an openness and maybe active listening to it. That goes both ways. I think the idea of holding space within a conversation for both people to feel energized and ignited. And I think that's something you're really good at in that we have only met virtually, but you are undistracted, you are present and you give energy to a conversation without asking for energy in return. But I think energy in return comes as a natural output to the energy that you give in social settings. But that's only based on my experience. Does that feel right? to who you are in not Zoom calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it does. I think in person, I'm probably louder than you imagine. <laughs> I have been told many times, you're really quite loud, aren't you? <laughs> so at least you have volume control in a virtual setting. <laughs> but in seriousness, yeah, I think it has taken me a long time to become a good active listener as someone who is so enthusiastic. I get real joy from other people's joy as well, but I am quite an empathetic person. So if someone isn't in that space, I feel like I have enough life experience to understand that and create space, as you say, for them. So I hope that I create comfortable spaces for people to work within that make them feel listened to and valued that would be I guess what everyone kind of hopes from from their connections you've talked a lot about creating an open space for people to feel comfortable in. you spoke earlier about respecting and honoring the way that people want to connect how about you a lot of what you've just said is about making other people feel comfortable is that what makes you feel comfortable or is there a thread to pull in there yeah I think that's a fair call I think A lot of the travel that I've done has helped me understand that tempering your own desire can actually bring about really interesting results. I think potentially when I first left Australia, I was 24 and just enamored with the idea of the world. This amazing thing had opened up for me and I was checking if I was the person that I thought I was basically without all the normal constructs around me and I was meeting tons of people and it took me a good year before I realized that I knew a lot of people and they had shared with me quite personal things but not because I had asked that of them they had just felt comfortable to share however I could have created that space potentially faster had I thought to listen more than just lead by this raw example of here's all my stuff (laughs) and so I suppose that I like to try and consider how we come together as people rather than bring my agenda towards people. I suppose that's how I got here. This idea of bringing more to people, I think, is a really interesting one. And it seems to be a theme in who you are. When it comes to the travel that you've had and the life that you've lived, you've been an adventurer. And I think by nature of being an adventurer and traveling and living in lots of places in the world, there's a constancy where you need to connect because you maybe don't know many people in the area. How has that shaped the way that you connect? It's a really good point. When I first started traveling, I did not realize that I would be homesick for every place I had ever lived. (laughs) And I have stacked those odds forever, not in my favor now. The thing that I miss more than anything else about the places that I've lived is always the people in association with the moment. So 
I would never say that the thing that I missed most about Dublin was the Saturday markets by itself, for example, because the thing that I liked about those Saturday markets was the oyster shaka and the person that sold olives. And I distinctly remember the human interactions as a part of this. And so I felt that every time I arrived somewhere new, I needed to work out who I was in context of all these things. And in order to do that, I had to experience as many you know, of these things as possible. And the way in which community is made up is a construct of many, many humans. So finding out how they interact and what they are interested in and, and what community you slot into is a really important part of belonging as well. I suppose in terms of building up these connections, I see them as intrinsically valuable to this ability to travel and move. And I think if you're not making those, there have been moments where I felt that I'm not making those deeper connections with people. They are the moments in which you are homesick or you are looking for other. And I mean, in, in work, it has been invaluable to be what people like to call in work terms a networker, but it's effectively the same thing in real life, which is, you know, a connector because people like to meet other people who think the same and or differently than them or want to help them and to create those kind of connections between yourself and others is is something that really helps in your career as well as helps your brain develop in really great ways what does a meaningful connection look like what does it feel like when you're traveling around I think you get an idea I think traveling around like <laughs> I was a, a whimsical backpacker. I was for some time, to be fair, about eight months, but uh, mostly I was in a place at a time. But when you are trying out multiple destinations, knowing that you were there for the experience, you are quite cognizant of the way in which other people accept and integrate you into their lives. And if they perceive you to be too transient, for some people, that's quite appealing. For other people, that is unnerving, calls into question their life choices and whether or not they should be more transient. There's some stuff that gets uncovered there, I think, for some people. And vulnerability of being left behind, all those things kind of come up. I think you realise that you're hitting deeper connections when almost like in a relationship when people begin to reveal their onion layers of themselves there's a certain amount of stuff you can get to know about someone if they I don't know, get really drunk on a Saturday night and accidentally tell you half their secrets but that's still not going to be a deeper connection with that person such as when they call you because something went wrong or because something exciting happened to them and those to me are about creating shared experiences and those shared experiences to me are what signal deeper connections. When you are fostering those deeper connections, are you intentional in reaching out to the people in your life when something really wonderful happens or when something negative happens in order to foster those connections? Is that something that you do intentionally? Yeah, I think it is because having been physically removed from many people who are so valuable to me, it can be very easy to only check in with them around major points or to forget to check in with them on one type of thing versus another. So only send your good news to so-and-so, only send your bad news to so-and-so because of the way in which they support you. I think I check myself on that as much as possible and say, have I checked in with them? Are they okay? What's going on? 
have we shared stuff backwards and forwards are we giving each other a, a, a rounded view of our lives and that's important oh that really that really hit me this idea of a rounded view of our lives because i think that without fully being able to articulate this brand new thought that has popped into my mind <laughs> not sharing the intricacies and the complexities is such a hindrance to connection. And I think maybe now more than ever, because we're showing the highlight reel, as they say, on social medias. And what you said about this idea that there are people that you share all the good things with and people that you share all the bad things with, gosh, that is so impactful. I think when you have yourself kind of one degree, whether that's by physicality or other removed from a regular connection with someone, it's quite easy to fall into the most comfortable way of sharing with them. And that creates a one-sided relationship. There's so much work that's already been said and shared on the power of vulnerability. And I think this leads into the idea of being able to be vulnerable with some people as much as you can. That whole idea that if you're not being vulnerable, then what is this um, curated thing that you're wanting to achieve and, and where is your value in that? I think there's an interesting thing that happens and this is my guess where it came from originally is that lots of people say to me that they get a frustration and this is whether or not they live nearby or not. They get a frustration with their parents because they don't share with their children when serious illnesses are occurring until a certain stage in which they say things like, oh, I didn't want to worry you. Oh, your dad's just come out of hospital. You had a minor stroke, but I didn't want to worry you. It's a really common thing that tends to happen. The problem is that one person stops trusting the other. One of them is trying to protect the other. The communication lines are blurred. But if you're so used to only giving your parents, for example, your best version of yourself and they're only giving their best version of themselves all the important things that they need and the support structures all fall apart around them I've seen it so many times that I don't want it to happen with my friends either I don't just want them to say my child started school I want them to be confident to say hey I just unexpectedly lost my job or whatever it is and for both those things that have serious weight in their life to have an equal opportunity to be shared if that's what they want Oh yeah. And this idea that you can share in both elements, the light and the dark, the depth that that affords is something that we can all learn from. And it is the vulnerability, but it's also the bravery, maybe the lack of fear that comes with rejection. I think that there are people who we may perceive to only want the positives and there are people that we may perceive to only want the negatives mm -hmm. and, but choosing the easier path with both is a choice that you can make but you also have to be aware that you're shutting down something else with them by choosing half the version of your possible connection it's hard for some people but it's true Wow, you're blowing my mind. <laughs> We're done. That's it. No, I'm just kidding. But my God, that was brilliant. So can you tell me about an unexpected connection that you've made? Yeah, I mean, gosh, there's so many. Do you know what? One that I think deserves weight in my life story because of the impact of it. Do you mind if I tell you a story? Okay. Please. 
So when I came to London, I had initially worked for the British Museum and I met great people there, but I didn't break into having relationships with them where I was a part of their personal lives. It was a work structured thing. And then I was looking to meet people and I found London to be difficult and kind of closed. And then I applied for another job that sounded really random in this startup that actually gave me my foundation in community management, which then became the foundation of my career. So super important. And on my second day, I got talking with this woman there who was South African and my partner is South African as well. And I had experienced with him firsthand that unlike the rest of the world with seven degrees of separation, South Africans between each other seem to have two degrees. I don't know how it is possible, but they all seem to know each other intimately somehow. So she had said she was South African. We kind of had this back and forward. And she was saying, I'm from Johannesburg. Oh, he's from Johannesburg. I went to this school. I was like, that sounds... Sounds familiar. I was like, but he went to a boys' school. She's like, oh, my brother went to a boys' school. We had this teasing a part of conversation until, until Emily kind of lands up and goes, I genuinely think that your boyfriend used to be our next door neighbor. <laughs> and I was so floored. I sent a text to my then boyfriend, now husband, saying, Do you know the Van Lierups? And he went, Yeah, yeah, they used to live next door to me in South Africa. And I went to school with the boy, and the girl was in the lift club. And I was like, I'm working with her. And he goes, what? <laughs> it was very, very strange and oddly kind of crazy connection. And she is still a good friend of mine and has been through many of these experiences with me, introduced me to loads of a, a really big community that has become some of my permanent friends in this country. And I think that strange moment of connecting with someone at work that harked back to previous connections was something that kind of blew my mind a bit. <laughs> I love that. What are the chances? And I love that it ended up being the next door neighbor. What a great story. One <laughs> of the things that you said there at the beginning that I thought was interesting, you said that London when you moved here was difficult and kind of closed. What made that so? I've pondered this so many times <laughs> because I have a context of people listening. I have lived in Australia in Sydney mostly, in Dublin, in Ireland, in Edinburgh, in Scotland, and in New York, in America, as well as London, in England. And so I was a bit affronted by how, how to put it, but just how measured everybody was here, I suppose. And it, it doesn't help coming from places which have reputations as being really low personal barriers between strangers. When I first came to London, I observed a guy on a courier bike drive up to a bus stop that I was waiting at. And there was about 20 people there. This is pre-maps on phones, which dates me, obviously. Uh, he kind of arrived and went, I can't work out where I am. Can anybody help me? And every single person at the bus stop just kind of slightly repositioned their head to be tilted so their eyes didn't have to make eye contact with him. And I was like, what's going on here? And I remember thinking, maybe people on bikes are like muggers here because you're trying to take cues from people around you. And then I just realized, no, you don't look at strangers in this city. You don't talk to them unless they're specifically talking to you. I found that so odd. And it took me a long time to work out that the sheer volume of people in London and the intrinsic politeness of people in London 
if you were to make contact would absolutely exhaust you just trying to get from your house to your job. So it is a protectionism, I think, as well. But it wasn't something I was expecting. And I found it difficult as someone who is quite outgoing. I remember being in a shop with a friend back in Australia and both of us had travelled back from London, happened to be there at the same time. And we bought some, I don't soft drinks from a corner shop. And the guy's like, hey, how are you guys doing? How are you doing today? And I was like, yeah, yeah, good. How are you? And he's like, great. Yeah, great weather. And my friend just stood there kind of staring at me, watching this backward and forward for a while. And I was like, anyway, have a great day. And we left. And she went, I just realized I've been out of Australia so long that I found it really weird that you were talking to that guy like you knew him. And it took me that whole time to work out you don't. (laughs) And I was like, this is the London thing. (laughs) This is deeply a London thing, London specific thing. (laughs) I think that was part of it. It is such a London thing. And I relate to that so much because I am a friendly Canadian. We talked a little bit about a virtual connection and the fact that the world at the moment is quite virtual. Mm -hmm. How do you foster connection in that increasingly digital space? It's a really good question. And it's something that I kind of obsess about at work. This has been a part of my career for a very long time is the connections that you have that are physical or in real life translate in a very different way online and personalities play a strong part in what that translation looks like. The way in which you use online um, tools is almost as unique as the people who are using them. I personally have conversations of all different types with people across such a range of mediums. It's interesting when lockdown happened, even the people I was used to meeting in the day-to-day environment were forced into these digital environments. And I I found myself spread quite thinly across a great many social media platforms and digital interaction tools so that there are some friends that I speak to only on Facebook Messenger and some only on WhatsApp in a group and some via email. I don't know why or how uh, this has happened, but that is the way in which we connect. And so I think understanding how people naturally use environments and tools and meeting them there can be very helpful for fostering connections. Respectfully, you have to understand that some of what you want in your connection with people in digital spaces just cannot exist, actually. No matter how hard you try to foster it, the physicality of having a connection with someone is very different. Text-only conversation obviously takes away a lot, but even a Zoom call, you don't even get to read full body language. There's a lot of subtle intimation that happens in person that is different. And so... I always seek to meet people in the way that they use their tools and hopefully respect that way in the way that I try to connect with them in digital spaces, but realize there's always going to be a limitation to it. We talked about connection and networking being similar and their words, everyone has different interpretations of words. To me, connection and networking feel different because networking feels very surface Mm -hmm. level. But you speak about creating depth across connection. So I guess that would mean you are creating depth in your networking. What 
are your thoughts on that? I wonder what you think about this idea of connection versus networking. I got over my barrier of networking when I stopped thinking about it as networking. When I cover people with my ideas or my thoughts or my connections or whatever, I just disregard the whole premise of networking. But that doesn't mean they don't come towards me, assuming a networking persona. Nothing you can do about that. I hope that I give people enough opportunity that they feel like they can make this decision to turn it into a deeper connection if they want to. And in fact, some of my just brilliant people in my life have come about through work and technically have come about through networking. The old school kind of met you at an event type networking has really brought some seriously deep connections into my life. I think because I used to feel that networking was a bit of a chore. I didn't know how to represent myself in a business way and where the line was drawn between business Rochelle and other Rochelle until I worked out, actually, I don't have to do that for people. They can make a decision themselves about how they want to connect with me and I can create my barriers that make me comfortable around them too. Once I got over that, I realized that networking for me was really about sparking different connections. And then I was in a space I understood and felt comfortable with. So someone that I meet at a conference, I will always give some time and space to because you never know what might happen next. And I feel the same way as someone I might meet on the train. So (laughs) I I feel that if someone has an open conversation with you, you get a sense of that and where their barriers lie with that opportunity. Such excellent wisdom, because I think what you said, um, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you're coming to a conversation, to an interaction with your authentic self. You're not coming there with the expectations of what you think someone wants from you, you're coming from who you are and letting them decide if that's what they want or not. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when I've talked to people who have barriers about networking, because it is a loaded word, as you rightly pointed out, the interesting thing that happens to them is when I give them examples of what I think is technically networking, but isn't something that comes in a blog post about networking. (laughs) And that's things like, I personally, for at least the last four or more years, have two points in the year, kind of random, but at least twice a year in which I reflect on the people that I have interacted with either recently or over a long period of time how they've impacted me, how I've been drawing on their wisdom. And then I write a very short message to them to say so. And that to me is technically networking because I'm reaching out to a work contact of sorts, but I don't want anything from them. I want to acknowledge what they've given me. And every time I've done that, I always get a response. I always get a surprise response, which kind of makes me feel a bit sad that not enough people are being practicing gratitude, maybe. But I think it gives me more fuel to want to make more connections because it reminds me of the value that someone who can be quite fleeting might have exhibited by behaving in a specific way in a meeting in which I found empowering for example doesn't have to be a big thing it doesn't have to be you dragged me up by my heels into the top of my career type flag waving for me to acknowledge it and so I think you break down the idea of 
networking to its core, it's no longer frightening and it is now just as interesting as any other meeting that you'll have through any other connection. So lovely to <laughs> do that. And you say it makes me sad because it makes me realize maybe other people aren't practicing gratitude, but that's an unexpected way to practice gratitude and one that I hadn't necessarily heard. Obviously the standard narrative is practice gratitude yourself and reflect on the things that you are grateful for. Let the friends in your life, the people close to you know, but this idea of actually every six months or twice a year to look at the people who have come into your life, take stock and contact them is so nice. And and I can imagine being on the receiving end of that. It must feel so good for them because you're right. Actually, it doesn't happen all that often. And it does feel really wonderful. What you are giving these people is a chance to see themselves through your eyes. Yeah. I I like people to know that something might have been a fleeting moment for them, but it has impacted others. And I think people are often moving forward towards goals, not doing a lot of personal reflection for a number of reasons. So perhaps sometimes it's nice to say, you don't have to look back and give yourself a pat on the back for your behavior, but somebody saw you and it meant something to them. Yes, I love that. And I think also what a nice way to remind yourself of all the things that you have learned. Part of this practice started coming about when I started doing mentoring So just meeting people who are way wiser than I was at their age, (laughs) with much clearer focus and dreams, (laughs) but also just feeling really like they had given me a lot by just trusting and being open with me and talking to me about their challenges and their ambitions and the things they want to achieve. And some of these people, I've just watched them bloom and grow. And I'll do little comments every now and again on their LinkedIn or whatever. One woman surprised me. She just contacted me after it had been nearly two years and said, I met you at a speed mentoring thing. You talked to me for like 15 minutes. And one sentence that you said just repositioned everything for me. And I didn't even remember saying it. I didn't. And it sounded like me. (laughs) I think I said something along the lines of, look, you sound really passionate, you sound really empowered. And quite frankly, it comes down to this. If your work can't see the value in this thing that you're talking about wanting to do, just do it anyway. And if it's that offensive, then you don't belong there. <laughs> I just really wanted her to see that she had these brilliant ideas and just to, you know, I couldn't, I didn't know about her workspace. And she said it was enough to kind of propel her into a new sphere. Really interesting work. And I didn't tell her anything she didn't know. I just kind of told her to give herself permission, I think. But it was from that moment that I realized, actually, I want to be able to do this for other people and say that thing that you've forgotten about was super important to me. (laughs) Thank you. I love the message of do it anyway and the message of empowerment that you gave to her, but that she gave that back to you, this sort of cyclical Mm -hmm. nature that I think comes with it. But it is a thread that I keep pulling because I think it is the give and take and the giving without expectation means that you are allowing for that to come back to you in whatever way it manifests without ulterior motives, perhaps? Yeah. I mean, do you know what the thing is? I don't actually want anything from most people that I'm connecting with, apart from to know 
them and their experience because I find that by itself compelling and interesting and I get value from that and I think a lot of this does come down to personality type but I realize that I'm the kind of person who really would like other people when they reflect on me not to I don't care about very many things but I would always like them to have said oh she was really kind or interesting or a valued friend those things to me would be the ultimate in status for perception I suppose and so practicing that stuff to me is important and I don't really come at very much of this stuff with an agenda you use the word practice there is it a practice does it feel like it's a gradual movement it's something that you have to practice and keep front of mind I think you have to refine the way in which you connect with people over your life. And like I said before, I know I was fun to be with when I was younger, but probably quite intense because everything was so exciting and I had so much energy and thousands of things to tell you. Now, I am still that person, but also (laughs) in practice, I need to just curtail some of that energy and enthusiasm and optimism and stuff in order to make space for people. I think some of it is practice. You've given us a lot of wisdom. Is there one piece of advice that you often pass on to others? I think the thing that I try to pass on to as many people as possible is the importance of being brave. Life will throw very many challenges at you and you yourself only really know what your bravery feels like but quite often if you're called upon internally to be a bit brave you don't regret it you you often regret shrinking away from things bravery is something that I like to ask people to try for and that ties back to the do it anyway advice that you gave to the woman you were speed mentoring feel the fear but do it anyways there's so many more avenues that I know that we could go down and so many more conversations that we are still yet to have. (laughs) But I'll ask you that final question, which is in true paper napkin fashion, who should we connect with next and what makes them a great connection? I mulled this one over a few times because I have worked hard at creating a lot of connections. But I really want to see you take a wacky journey with this. (laughs) So I would like to connect you with someone that I met while working in a cafe in Dublin in 2002, when we were both young and could support ourselves on cafe culture. (laughs) His name is Dimitri Bellos. He used to have a very significant role with Fat Duck, the restaurant in England, and he is part Greek and part Irish and part infinitely fascinating in the way that he creates connections between people and their food. I think you would have an amazing conversation with him. Oh, that sounds wonderful. And I do love connection and love people. I might love food even more. So (laughs) I look forward to connecting with Dimitri. Thank you. And uh, I can't wait to share that description with him as well, because that was a lovely way to be described. Oh, good. I hope so. I hope I've done him justice. He is an infinitely fascinating man. Rochelle, thank you so much for 
spending this time with me and sharing your wisdom and for being so open to connection and such an inspiration for me when it comes to connection. Thank you so much. And thank you for letting me wax lyrical about things that I feel intrinsically about, but probably haven't vocalized recently, if ever. It has been a real treat. And I feel very lucky to have connected with you, Kendra. That's it for today's conversation. Thank you so much for listening and connecting with us. If you liked the podcast, please subscribe and review. We'll be back next week with another impactful connection. Until then, be kind.